and Savior Jesus Christ, the readings this morning, the songs and hymns we sang, the reference to Isaiah 53 make it very clear that the Bible teaches that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered during all the time that he lived on earth, but especially at the end. People who don't understand the holiness of God, our Creator, and who don't understand His justice, they're not afraid of living in sin, and they ridicule the claims of Jesus Christ. They even hate Him for calling all men to believe in Him for their salvation. And so Jesus suffered. And yet, although Jesus suffered at the hands of men in so many different ways, the Gospels make it clear that being ignored, being misunderstood, being denied, being rejected by men was not the worst part of his suffering. Rather, as we confess, throughout his life, Jesus was suffering under the wrath of God. The wrath of God was upon him. The gospel of our text today is that God sent Jesus Christ, his son, as a substitute to take our guilt and our sins upon his own so shoulders so that God might pour upon him the wrath that we deserved for all that we had done as unfaithful, ungrateful, proud, and envious children, the bride that was unfaithful. Well, the Bible then gives us a picture of what it means to suffer under the wrath of God. If you look to the Old Testament, you can see the blessings for being faithful to the covenant, but you can also read about the curses. And so the Lord shows us what the punishment that God promised for a disobedient person looks like. You can see in Psalm 22 that when God wants to punish a human being, he abandons him so, God, so that they cry out in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord also left the temple in the Old Testament to, to show that he was abandoning his people, part of the punishment. Another Punishment for a man or a woman who was disobedient to the Lord. We read about in the Old Testament is that the Lord makes them feel alone so that they have no friends to turn to. If you look at Psalm 55, also Psalm 88 talks about that type of punishment, that wrath. Another form of punishment is that God takes away the physical comforts. Psalm 88 also speaks of that, the soul that is longing, unhappy. And also the Lord makes them suffer wrongly as innocent ones, even uh, makes them suffer because of an inju injustice or misunderstanding. Different ways that God makes covenant breakers suffer, that we read about in the Old Testament they all point to what Jesus Christ suffered. And the Gospels are very clear to, to make that connection. And so Jesus Christ, as he was living on earth, and he could see this, he could feel alone, he could feel abandoned, he knew that it was his Father's 
punishment behind all that he was experiencing. His father was behind Caiaphas. His father was behind the Jews. His father was behind his friends and his disciples and even behind the rulers of the land. The stinging mockery, the illogical violence, the misunderstood devotion, the betrayal, the fear, the shame, all contributed to Jesus Christ. It was the wrath of God against him for our sins. That is why he came, to bear that wrath for us so that we never have to. I preach to you this gospel. God crushed his son to save his children. First we see one man was cursed by God. Second, for many who believe in God. The experience of the one man who was cursed by God. How the Pharisees and chief priests saw Jesus, verses 45 to 48. There was competition for votes, competition for attention, and it was a fierce competition. Jesus was gaining ground. The news from a group of loyal supporters who were coming in from Bethany. It was terrible news. Jesus had raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. And now the Pharisees had to call another council. They had to invite the chief priests from all the ruling families in the land. They had to decide what to do with this dangerous offender. The nerve of that upstart rabbi. Couldn't he just leave the dead in the grave and the family mourning? If we just let him go on like this, everyone will believe this horrible man who can raise the dead, who can perform many other signs. They will follow Jesus. They will live in love. They will celebrate life. They will obey the commands of God. And the Roman forces will not like this unknown group one bit. If people start following Jesus, it could perhaps even ruin that relationship that the high priest Annas and Caiaphas had, had been building and working on for so long with Pontius Pilate. And those high-strung, trigger-happy Romans, they'll only see it as a rebellion. They'll come. They'll take away our land. They'll take away our temple. They'll destroy our nation. The little we have left will be gone. will be no different than the Samaritans. This will not be profitable for us. What are, what are we to do? What are we to do? That's how the Pharisees and the chief priests saw the problem. And brothers and sisters... Be aware of how this fear of losing your position in society, losing, having to change the way you do things, it can cause you to be blind to the gospel of salvation. See 
the, how the threats and the intimidation of a wicked government can lead men to deny the very one who can save them. See that today, especially in, a, in our context, in our hostile environment. And look at how religious traditionalism can make you afraid of the powerful, transforming work of Jesus Christ in society that may call you out of your comfort zone. The chief priests and the Pharisees recognized that following Jesus Christ can upset a lot of people. It can make your life uncomfortable. And that's one of the reasons they had for for leaving him, for, for hating him, for wanting to kill him. Are you ready to follow Jesus Christ even though he is a threat to your standing in the eyes of the government? Your religious stability, your personal status? Do you see what it takes to follow him? Take up your cross? They will treat the disciples like they treat their master. Our Lord Jesus said that. How Caiaphas saw Jesus. If you look at verses 49 to 50. The best word to describe Caiaphas' view of Jesus is disdain. Caiaphas saw Jesus like you might see a pebble in your shoe or like a pest in your garden. Caiaphas, who had been the high priest by Roman appointment for many years, a very long period of time, and who was still high priest in that year of Jesus' trial, he addressed the Pharisees and the chief priests who had gathered together in that council who were all worried about what they were going to do. And he says, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas' arrogance makes him treat everybody with rudeness. And he almost mocks the chief priests and the Pharisees for giving this man Jesus so much credit just because he could do some miracles and raise people from the dead. Caiaphas urged them to look at the situation from a different angle. Ask yourself, what is better for you as chief priests and Pharisees? What is better for you? Romans as friends or Romans as enemies? Would you rather keep this people in darkness so that you can intimidate them by manipulating them with your legalistic rules? Or would you have them walk in the light and be free from your legalistic enslavement? Do you really want to compete with the liberating gospel of grace and love and fellowship and caring and raising from the dead? Look, Pharisees, Jesus is interfering with our goals. 
And we need to snuff out this light as quickly as we can, or else everybody in the world will know that we are motivated by our desire to have power and to be wealthy. He's gonna, he's gonna, it's going to all be seen if you start comparing the darkness to the light. It's way better to take out the light source and leave the world in darkness. Kill Christ Jesus and we can continue to live in rebellion against God. The Lord Jesus said this was going to happen. Parable of the tenants. Caiaphas so-called solution continues to be chanted by the power hungry today. Get rid of the gospel of marriage, of family, of purity, of faithfulness, of life, of love, of fellowship, of communion. Get, get rid of that light and we can do anything we want. We can kill anybody we want to at any age, babies, elderly. We can be in control as a good servant of the evil one. Caiaphas twisted the truth to make it look like a good idea to kill the author of life. Instead of focusing on Jesus' marvelous works and the gospel that he preached, Caiaphas made them think that killing Jesus would be a good political move, a way to save the Jewish nation from the Romans, as if they needed to be afraid of the Romans more than of their eternal heavenly judge. And after the Jewish leaders decided to murder Jesus, they needed to make careful plans. You read that in verse 53. Especially since the God that they claimed to be worshiping had forbidden murder in the sixth commandment. They couldn't just go out and murder him. God said that wasn't good. So they made plans. The Jewish council needed the people's support. So we read in Matthew 26 verses 3 to 5, they didn't kill Jesus during the feast, but like we see in the end of our verse, verse uh, ch chapter 1157, they just spread the rumor that he was not a good man. They, they let it be known that they were looking for that man to arrest him. So the people started thinking, what kind of criminal is this Jesus? And then finally, in the end, Matthew tells us how Caiaphas uses charges of blasphemy to justify handing Jesus over to Pilate, the Roman governor. You can see in our confession that we understand that that too was in the hand of the Lord who used Pilate. Caiaphas saw Jesus as a pest in the garden, a rock in a shoe, a lamp in the night that needed to be snuffed out so that people could remain in their ignorance. And brothers and sisters, they will treat Jesus' followers like they treat Jesus. How the disciples saw Jesus. 
God left no supports for his son when he poured out his anger against our sins that were upon his shoulders. The friends were eager to join Jesus when he stopped walking so openly among the Jews when he went to Ephraim. But when we keep reading and see their fight, their flight from the soldiers in the garden, Peter's denial in the courtyard of the high priest, we can see that they were not really very much different than the Pharisees. They too were basing their allegiance to Jesus Christ based on what was better for them. Jesus knew that their misunderstanding, their denial, their fear were a part of God's wrath against sin. He was the one under the curse. It's not easy to follow the Lord Jesus through suffering into glory. How Jesus suffered in these attacks. Our Lord Jesus knew Isaiah 53. Maybe he sang it like we did this morning. He knew that he had come to suffer under the wrath of God. And this wrath would include being despised and rejected by all men. Jesus felt the sting of his Father damning our sins, mocking our rebellion, ignoring his innocence, and testing his conviction. Jesus had raised a man from the dead, restored a family, given life, healed the sick, driven out demons, preached the gospel of God's love, urged respect for the authorities, and God made him feel like a guilty, shameful criminal, a rebel who was not to be trusted, a national security danger, a church wrecker who, could be, who would be better off dead. In the anger and the hatred of the Jews, Jesus suffered under the wrath of God because of our sins that were placed on his shoulder. He suffered that though he was innocent himself. He suffered what we deserved. Pontius Pilate served as the official ambassador of God to represent and to communicate the final judgment of mankind against that Son of God. So we confess in Lord's Day 38, God used Pilate to tell Jesus, you are nothing to us. We hate you. We condemn you to die. When God saw the sins of all mankind on Jesus' shoulders, he cursed his son as the substitute, making him experience the complete wrath of God Jesus would see what it would be like to be punished for rebellion against God's creation. And so, yes, it has a special meaning that Christ Jesus was crucified and did not die in another way, as we confess, question and answer 39, that crucifixion showed him, showed us that Jesus Christ was cursed by God and cursed by man so that we never have to be. Whoever believes in him will never have to be cursed by God. He was cursed for many who believe in God. 
God is always in control. Verses 51 to 52. The Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he looks at the whole scene and the context of all that God had revealed about his son. John, remembering the prophecies, remembering the announcement of John the Baptist that Jesus is the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world, remembering that Jesus said that he had come from the Father into this world to die for sinners, John can see the irony of Caiaphas' words, perhaps even smirking a little bit. John notes in verse 51 that Caiaphas did not say that it is expedient for one man to die for the, na for the nation. He didn't say this of his own accord. Even Jesus' most vocal, dangerous enemies were not in control of what was happening or even what they were saying. Even as he conspired with the Romans to ensure that God would not interfere in his country's present situation, Caiaphas was a mere instrument in the Heavenly Father's hands. Jesus knew that. John saw that. And so he tells us, so that we never fear people. We never have to fear governments. We never have to fear rulers. The king's heart says the Proverbs is in the hand of the Lord. He will direct it like a water course wherever he wants to. The Lord Jesus knew he didn't have to be afraid. That's not why he, he left and went to Ephraim. He left because it was not the hour that his father had appointed yet. God would determine the timeline, not some little earthly rulers shouting and screaming against the Son of God. The gospel revealed in Caiaphas' words. John's explanation of the truth of Caiaphas' statement requires us to take the words that Caiaphas spoke, just to take them right out of their context and put them away from the intended meaning that Caiaphas had when he spoke them. Caiaphas was not concerned about his sinfulness before the holy God, but he was thinking about the Romans. Caiaphas did not see Jesus as his only atoning sacrifice. He saw Jesus as a formidable political rival who had to be killed. John points to the irony of the words themselves. And he shows us that if we take these words that Caiaphas spoke and put them right in front of the work of God rather than in the hands of wicked men, these words actually declare a very significant gospel that we need to know. Caiaphas said that Jesus must die to save the nation of Israel from the wrath of the Romans. But God was saying that Jesus was going to die to save the covenant people of God from his wrath against our sins. Caiaphas said that killing Jesus would prevent the nation from losing their friendship with the Romans. God said that Jesus' death would save them from their sinful dependence on Rome or any other government. Caiaphas said that Jesus would save their nation, and by nation he meant the few people who were ruling the nation. God 
promise that Jesus would save the nation, including everybody from the beginning of the world to the end of the world who believed in him, his children. Well, in the end, historical evidence tells us that Caiaphas was a liar. Killing Jesus did not help preserve the temple, did not help to preserve the nation of Israel, but it did have a profound effect on the children of God. God was not a liar. And the marvelous gospel is that Jesus died for everyone who believes in him. And that's what we confess in Lord's Day 15. He died for the nation, the covenant people of God. We confess that Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. We say his suffering is the only atoning sacrifice. Atoning means that it, it covers over our guilt. The word propitiation that we read in 1 John 2, verse 2, when we were coming into church and we saw it displayed here on the wall, that word speaks of calming the almighty God's anger. And God's anger calmed because it was spent on Jesus Christ on the cross like a storm that has finished. And when there is no sacrifice for sins left, there is no longer any punishment. And we confess as we see Christ's suffering that now we don't have to suffer that wrath anymore. That is why we celebrate his work. The confession is beautiful. He has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation. He freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. He took upon himself the curse which lay on me. He truly died for the nation. And he also died so that he might gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. This is the Holy Spirit's call to the world. If, if you are a visitor here today, the, the gospel is a, is a gospel call, a promise that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness of sins. There is full life. And you will come when you hear the voice of the shepherd. You will know why we call Good Friday good and why we look upon the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ with amazement and joy. He suffered for everyone who believes in him. Caiaphas wanted the chief priests and the Pharisees to consider what was better for them. Jesus alive or Jesus dead. Today, we have no say in the matter. For Jesus was crucified, and he did die for the sins of everyone who believes in him before he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Jesus was dead, but now he is alive. But the question remains now, what is better for you? To believe in him? as your Lord and Savior, to, to follow him in your life with courage and, and conviction or to deny him 
like Peter did because he felt a little uncomfortable what people might think of him or, or do to him. If you believe in him, if you want to follow him, the government and the media, they will reject and mock you. Perhaps even take opportunities away from you. But you will not be ashamed on the last day when our Lord Jesus returns in glory and, and you stand before his throne and you look to the judge and you see your Savior there. If you see him and you believe in him, the light will shine in the darkness. You will see your sins. You will see who you are. You will realize that you can't live the same kind of life that you might see on the films or the movies that you're watching or the kind of lives that you see around you. You'll see that you can't live that way because you don't want to. People will think it's strange that you don't live in the same way. That's what Peter says. But you will be set free from the slavery, from the manipulation of the devil. Instead of darkness as your friend, Psalm 88, you can walk in the light of eternal life. It's clear to see what is better for us. Grace rules. Amen.